Combat log. Final entry. Should I fail, let this be a record for those who come after me. Two nights ago, a madman unleashed a plague on Gotham, turning the infected into what I can only describe as zombies. Mindless drones at his command. I'd say it's a nightmare, but it can't be, because I haven't slept in days. One chance to save the city. No! Hello and welcome to TBU Specials, Deceased Cast Edition, Episode 1. I'm your host, Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. So, my amazing co-hosts on the tbu comics podcast have been bugging me about um deceased for a while now um they're both huge fans of tom taylor and deceased in particular and i was browsing the reddit the other day and i noticed that uh all of the top posts were about deceased and then tom taylor decided to put uh, a certain character in the role of robin in the digital first series deceased hope at world's end and the combination of these two factors, the, um, the just really high engagement with the material and my own now newfound engagement with the material um, <laughs> made me give in to the wise demands of my co-hosts. And so we're doing a special TBU cast for Deceased until at least the end of uh, Dead Planet, which will be in probably about five months. So our plan is we're going to catch you up. Um, we're doing three issues of the first series today, and then we'll finish up the series in our next episode, um, and we'll keep going until we catch up to the material that's releasing, and we'll do uh, an episode a month until that is completed. And if, as seems very likely, it turns into at least a trilogy, we'll probably bring it back. But... In the meantime, please let us know what you think about our podcast. Give us comments on Twitter or join our Discord and comment there. We'll be happy to respond. And of course, we'll read all comments and feedback from any venue that we see on the next episode that we receive it. We are at thebatmanuniverse.net and you can get to our Discord through there. And Twitter itself is Batman Universe, and then our specific, because we're the comics division, is TBU underscore comics. So that is how you would find us and tweet us, and if you came in through that portal, and that's how you download the episode, feel free to respond there. With that being said, we don't, this is a special podcast, which means it's totally devoted to the comics, so let's get right ahead into our summary and review. Issue 1. The Justice League defeats Darkseid's invasion of Earth, banishing the evil god. However, Darkseid has already captured the apocalyptian tech hero Cyborg and uses him to complete the anti-life equation, which removes all free will from the universe. But they fuse it with a piece of death, creating a digital zombie plague accidentally. Infected, Darkseid destroys his own planet and Cyborg is sent back to Earth, infecting the internet. Superman hears the screams of the infected and flies to his family as quickly as possible, destroying Lois's phone to protect him, Lois, and Damian Wayne, who's visiting. 
Batman runs the numbers in the Batcave, then runs an EMP to disconnect his manor from the virus, but too late. Dick and Tim, infected, attack Batman and Alfred, biting deeply. Issue 2 Aquaman finds the ship crowded with the infected and dives deep to get away from them. Superman takes his family and Damien to the Daily Planet, while Poison Ivy persuades Harley Quinn to break up with the Joker, who has been affected. Dinah Lance, Black, Qu- Black Canary, Oliver Queen, and Hal Jordan camp outside of Metropolis. But Hal is infected through his phone and attacks them with the full power of the ring. Dinah kills him with a canary cry, and Hal's ring chooses her as the next Green Lantern. Superman brings Arrow and Canary Lantern to the planet, where Damien gets a call from his father, who is analyzing the infection killing him. He used Mr. Freeze's suit to slow the virus, but after giving information to Superman's group, he succumbs, attacking Alfred, who is forced to kill his son. Issue 3 Alfred lays Bruce, Dick, and Tim's bodies out carefully in the Batcave, then flies the Batplane away, shooting infected as he goes. Harley kills the infected Joker, but then faces the remaining infected Bat family, Catwoman, Huntress, Batwoman, and Batgirl. Superman clears the Daily Planet building of infected to give his family and remaining friends a base, then heads to Smallville. In Atlantis, Mera is attacked by the infected Aquaman and flees desperately. On his way to Smallville, Superman tries to help everyone he can, sending them to the planet. But in Smallville, he finds his father infected and locks him in the barn, taking his mother with him. So I'll start us off. How do we feel about the characterization of the heroes in this crisis? So because of the way you phrase the question, I'm going to say I liked Tom King's version better, <laughs> um, which is a joke. I, I don't actually hate uh, Heroes in Crisis, but I, I was just uh, commenting on the phrasing of the question. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's a fair comparison. It's, it's something that I guess it's, it's we don't really get crises like this in the main continuity that often because killing and doing this much destruction is really hard to do without either doing either a reboot or a reset or it was all a dream or a time machine or whatever and have it be okay. And so based on what we know and love the characters in regular continuity, how do you feel they react? Are they reacting in a way you would expect in this situation? It's only the first three issues and we've really only seen uh, Damien emotionally, and then John, uh, Superman and Lois. So we haven't gotten too much. But from what you've seen, how do you feel they're they're reacting? Well, again, it, it kind of goes back to you know some of the things that we've mentioned in previous cast cast as well, with regards to alternate universes and alternate timelines, where characterization, while important, doesn't necessarily have to be all that important because the the author's kind of allowed to go out there with regards to the voice he gives to each character. Uh, And as we can see and we'll continue to see, Tom Taylor really goes out there. Um, So I am definitely okay with it 
especially considering the fact that, you know, this is an alternate universe that we're looking at. Um, and all criticisms of, of Heroes in Crisis stay in place. I would say that I think the characterization is pretty much... I've come up with a term recently, golden continuity. And what I mean by that is... It's the sort of default in your head when you think of a character, even if it's not the actual um, status quo of a character at any given point. So oftentimes we'll say golden continuity is, uh, you know, Superman is married to Lois or Batman has four sons and a couple daughters and so forth. Um, Even if some of those characters may be dead at a certain point in time. Um, And, of course, the golden continuity isn't fixed. It's going to change. Obviously, um, Superman and Lois being married would be sort of golden from, you know, the mid-90s till now. But John being part of that golden continuity isn't really standard um, until 2015 when Convergence hit. And it's sadly not the golden continuity now, the, the actual what's going on even though john's not dead he's just not in this age range so it's not the same family dynamic um so i don't know i just feel like taylor is reaching for this sense of everyone knows everyone who's vaguely aware of the comics knows this characters and their relationships to each other um and he never really makes anyone super out of character from that basic idea he doesn't really delve deeply into any characterizations but he also doesn't make anyone do something radically strange for their characters mm-hmm. so, so let me ask this question since mm-hmm. we we've all mentioned uh continuity in one way or another considering how dc and publishers in general go through their cycles of reboots would you accept a DC type event in continuity, regular continuity? Oh no, they're killing all their money makers, which is going to be one of the topics I want to discuss later. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's no real way this could happen and them not reboot afterwards. Right, like if you I mean, wanted. To... <laughs> Sorry, I mean, so if, if they decided I mean, so... they hated Rebirth or Rebirth was over, and then they were like, okay, everybody turns into a zombie. And then poof, we started to, <laughs> that would be the only way they would do it is if there was, this was their follow up to the reboot or no, they're preceding the reboot, preceding the reboot. I mean, I mean, but we already see situation now again, you know, um, Tom Taylor's killing someone off and it's actually in regular continuity with, with Deadshot. Now again, Deadshot isn't Batman or, 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 or Green Lantern, but, I mean, he was played by Will Smith. That's a pretty high profile thing. Right. And, and we all know, you know, at least unless it's Valiant Comics, if you're dead, doesn't necessarily mean you're dead. You know? <laughs> um, so, you know, we could always have a, a flashpoint type event to somewhat correct the wrong well that Um, is actually something i want to bring up when we get to episode three and we cover a good day to die so i don't want to go too far down that road now but that is something that we will bring up and then to answer my own question i was kind of 
I don't know, looking more at like when Harley kills Joker up until even just after that, you're not sure if she understands what's going on. Like, it just looks like she's there to kill Joker to like end their relationship. And then I think later you realize, oh, no, she knew he was a zombie. (laughs) But it was just kind of funny seeing that she's not responding to any of the chaos going on around. She's just single minded on I'm going to go kill Joker, which I thought was pretty. So do you think she went there specifically to kill him or just to break up? I think to her, they were one in the same. <laughs> I mean, she went with a shotgun, right? I mean, why would you go to break up with someone with a shotgun? That's anyway. a very good point. I hadn't thought about that before because, you know, DC will never let anyone really kill the Joker. So Harley's broken up with him in the main continuity and never killed him because DC needs to make money. But since this <laughs> is an alternate universe, yeah, I think that is a very sensible thing for Harley to do because it's, I mean... He's a mass-murdering... He's Dark-tired. not the type of person who takes a quote-unquote betrayal, even yeah. though we wouldn't consider a breakup a betrayal. I think the Joker is the kind of bad person who would. And I think it was awesome that the ring chulk chose Dinah. Like, I got excited when—I remember the first time I read it, I actually, like, dropped the book and cheered because I was just so excited that Dinah got a ring and got real superpowers, even though screaming enough to kill someone, I guess, is a pretty cool superpower. Is limiting, though. And I still like Lois Lane as a Blue Lantern better. (laughs) But, oh, the one thing that did kind of bother me was how did Dick get infected? Because they keep really harping on how Dick doesn't do technology. (laughs) Well, but that was just Ben Percy. No one else has ever done that as part of his characterization. Okay, then never mind. Forget that then. Um, So, I don't know. I just, I, I... even though this is, you know, Tom Taylor's interpretation of the characters, and I get that, I, I thought that he did a decently good job from my perspective of how people would react in, in this situation. Oh, but here's another thought. What if, mm-hmm. you know, Tim obviously is really hooked into technology. What if he and Dick were just hanging out, Tim checked his phone, and yeah. then bit Dick, you know? But yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Maybe that's what I Oh, thinking. God, that did not sound right. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <sighs> Should it, would it be better if I said bit Rick? <laughs> bit Nightwing. He was wearing his costume. Oh, right. <coughs> Why do you think Deceased is so popular? Um, this series was incredibly popular. It sold, what was the first uh, issue sales numbers? Let me tell you, uh, 242,000 before reorders. Yeah. And there was a lot of reorders. So... Um, it sold well over twice, possibly even three times what Batman sells, which is the regular uh, best-selling title at DC. Um, so it was really, really popular. So why do you think this was so popular? Well, it's partially probably because it's Tom Taylor. And I mean, I mean, Justice was not supposed to be so long, right? I don't know. Well, but Tom Taylor doesn't sell super well. I mean, if you look at Suicide Squad sales, it's not like it's doing much more than 20,000 an issue. Maybe, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed Injustice. And when I went to pick this up, I can only speak for myself. I don't know what the general public says, but I thought that creating a situation where you are literally taking out all of your money makers. You take the Batman is dead by the end of the second issue. Joker is dead by the second issue. First issue, maybe? I don't know. No, yeah, second issue. Joker's dead, Batman's dead, Hell Jordan is gone. You know more and more stuff is gonna happen. Cyborg 
isn't dead yet, but, you know, it's whatever this is, is big enough to take out Dart's side. I think that the stakes are high enough that people are interested because this is not something we'll ever get in standard continuity because you can't do anything this big without a complete reboot or whatever. It's always all a dream. <laughs> it's all the alternate universe, whatever. So I, I think it's just the novelty almost of what would happen. And and zombies sell. I mean, as much as I hate, oh, what's that called? I don't even know. The zombie series. Pride and Prejudice died. and Zombies? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Walking I mean, Dead? seriously, you can put, yeah, Walking Dead. You can put zombies in anything and, and people enjoy it. And I don't really know why. There's only one zombie movie I've ever enjoyed, and that was Shaun of the Dead. And it was not because of the zombies. <laughs> Um, but for whatever reason, they do sell, and it's 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 interesting. And to me, I like Tom Taylor's writing enough that I'm enjoying the characters. I, and this will be a question I ask later. But you know, to me, it's not even that it's a story about zombies. It's okay if something happened and all your big sellers were gone. You now have to highlight what's so great about the minor characters. And Harley Quinn, because <laughs> they can't kill off everybody. Uh, and I just think that's really cool. Not, I'm not calling Superman a minor character, but there's going to be a lot of characters that haven't had a lot to do since Rebirth started. And, and, it's, gonna, and it's, it's just cool seeing them highlighted and given good characterization. Well, you know what would be good to see since, since you brought up the word zombies <laughs> is to see how deceased compared to... Marvel zombies, you know, because obviously mm. deceased was DC's answer to Marvel's to Marvel zombies. So I wonder how those two compared from a sales standpoint, you know, and maybe that's something that we can have together for the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Marvel zombies was by Kirkman, who also wrote The Walking Dead, and it ha- it was very different. Uh, it was jokey. Um, and mostly from the zombies perspective, like the zombies in Marvel zombies are sentient. So it just feels really different from deceased where it's a survival horror rather than comedy horror, I'd say. (laughs) Um, but obviously it's a very similar trope. I would, I would agree. I just think that reading Marvel zombies at the time, it just didn't give me the same feeling at all. Well, to answer your question, um, it's, I guess it's kind of two pronged. One, Injustice has its followers. And because Injustice has its followers from the video game to the comic, it allowed Taylor to pick up a fan base. And, you know, then he started doing other things outside of Injustice, like his run on Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man was wonderful. I actually think it may have been better with some issues than. The main, uh, the main Spider-Man title. So he he definitely well, that one issue with Mary Jane as the main character was awesome. I will yes. I'm not a Tom Taylor fan, as everyone will find out in this episode, but it was excellently done. Yeah, that issue and the issue with with with, with Spider-Mite were absolutely great. Those are my two favorite issues of that run. So, but but he definitely has a fan base, and again, as Steph said zombie sales so you 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 add that to the mix and you 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 have a you have a nice following and i think you both have touched on my central answer which is that a lot of fans of the injustice video game who weren't comic fans 
you know, they followed it because they wanted more story or they were just curious. Um, and it was a well-crafted story and it lasted a long time. So it was this, it was similar to like Smallville season 11 or where it's a really long story, but it's its own continuity. So you, you can only read the Injustice comics and get the full story. So there's no sense that you're missing something if you don't buy the tie-ins or the crossovers. Um, so I think he built up a really big fan base who recognized his name. And then this, he's using the big characters, even if he's killing him off almost right away. And it's in its own continuity again. So I think, you know, video game fans who don't necessarily want to pick up that regular comic buying habit can still say, oh, this is something, again, I don't have to read all the crossovers. Although that's not true anymore because he's writing a lot of crossovers. <laughs> um it's a, it's a self-contained, easily digestible thing that people who aren't regular uh, Wednesday warriors who pick up their comics every Wednesday can, you know, just pick up. And I think that that was a huge draw. So it's a bunch of different factors. But my biggest thing is I point out that video games is a much, much bigger crowd than comics. I mean, comics, as, as we said, oh, yeah. this sold 240,000 copies. My guess is the Injustice video game sold something like a million or two million. And that's, you know, five times the number of games. And it was a, I think it was a multiplayer because couldn't you fight two on two, right? Yes. So obviously, you know, more people than just bought the game would play it. So you've got this enormous audience that's built up who are interested. And even if just a fraction of that, it's still much bigger than the normal comics audience, which hovers between, you know, 20 and 40,000 for a normal title. All right, let's go to our second round of questions. Did you feel emotionally invested at all? We get a lot of death in these first three issues. Did you, and, and hope, a lot of death, but also a lot of, lot of hope. Did you, did you feel yourself, did you feel your heart taken on a ride? Well, I will say yes, most definitely. And I think the one that really got me in the fields was at the point Bruce began to succumb to mm -hmm. the equation and Damien goes from that from father to saying dad. Yeah. And and it was at that point that it it really hit you. It really humanized someone who throughout his history was this stubborn he was he was truly his 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 father's son and at this point you know he knows this is the end and that emotion that has not been known to be a part of his persona now comes now comes to light and it just Bam, and, and and as he's sitting there, and 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 John goes to be with him, and he's like, "I'm not going to say anything. I'm just mm -hmm. going to sit here with you, so you're not alone." Mm -hmm. That really gets that got me in the feels mm -hmm. at that point. I have to admit that no, I wasn't very emotionally engaged. <laughs> um, we will get to a point where I'm extremely emotionally engaged, but you have to wait several episodes to find that out. Although you already know what it is if you're paying attention. Because I know it's an AU, all the deaths don't really mean much. I do think Taylor wrote it well in terms of the characters react like they would, and I do feel with them. But it's it's, it's all kind of distant to me, just because there, there's always that feeling for me that it's an AU. 
you're saying that you typically aren't emotionally attached to any Elseworld type book? Yeah. The one exception that I've really had has been Smallville season 11. And I don't, and I think that's largely because I had a huge connection to the writer, Ryan K. Miller, who wrote Batgirl. So maybe it's just a question of being attached to the creative team, but I have just always really had a difficult time connecting to Elseworlds. Hmm. I, like I said, cheered like a maniac when Diana got her ring. I thought that was so exciting. I thought, you know, seeing a female <laughs> with being given given the powering because of, of her will, I thought that was just so cool. And absolutely like Theo, the death of Batman and just Damien's response definitely got me. Um, the other one, which surprised me, was uh, Jonathan Kent's death. I, or I guess the abandonment of said former Jonathan Kent, now Zombie Kent. I don't know. I just got teared up. Maybe it's because I've been having some emotional family drama myself lately. But I just, when he, you know, walks away and says, you know, dad isn't here anymore. I don't know. That just really, I, I could feel my eyes kind of get warm and my sinuses just clog up a bit. But yeah, that really, really got me sad. I, I totally feel that. Um, as I said, I think Taylor does a very good job of putting the pieces in place to connect to you. And whether it connects or not is really, you know, just such a subjective thing and depends on where you are, you know? Mm-hmm. So my, my not connecting isn't meant to be a knock at it at all. Now, I will say that the one that really caught me off guard with dark sides death i mean that's yeah that's true i mean from again from from our history of the character he was the one person who could not succumb mm-hmm. to the anti-life equation and here it's not dark side who's immune to it it's the side you know because they say mm-hmm. he he's immune to this but he knows what's going on um so that one really caught me off guard. But from an emotional standpoint, yeah, seeing seeing Damien Wayne become a human boy at that point <laughs> really had me in the feels that at least from this universe, from this universe, it was about to get real. Because again, even even Ollie said, "You're you. You you always." If anyone gets out of this, it's always been you. And mm-hmm. now he's saying, no, I can't avoid this one. Mm-hmm. So since we're kind of talking about these these emotional <laughs> uh, events, was there any death or which death or transformation, not just, you know, someone's death but their transformation to a zombie or what have you, hit you the most and why is it Batman's? <laughs> I mean, it is Batman for me, and it's because it's Alfred. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, that's true. Alfred... I, I've i gone on record by saying I, I really dislike it when Scott Snyder has Alfred calling Batman's son all the time, because I think it cheapens the relationship between them, even though I fully... I 100% believe that Alfred loves Bruce as a father. I think that his class and his position and his... Just the way Alfred is, very British, very uptight... Um, would he'd have an internal sensor. He just wouldn't call Bruce son. 
but I think Taylor built perfectly to the moment where, you know, he says goodbye, son. And I think that was, it was very, very well done. And that's definitely, I, to me, the most powerful of the three we've read so far. There are, of course, more to come. To me was the most surprising. I was very surprised to find out that, hey, we're, especially with all the art and, and variant covers that were available, the fact that Batman is dead by issue one. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay, so they're going to build this on not Batman's back. That's very cool. I, I, you know, kudos and my respect to that. Issue two. I don't know what you're saying. Issue one. But but, but, but to make a point, because actually he may have died in issue two, but you knew death was coming at the end of issue one because that's when he was bitten into. Munch, munch, munch. Um. The one that really got me, there was two actually. So, so one was oh, just seeing the birds of prey. It's like after Dinah's high, seeing then that all my favorite females are now zombified. <laughs> I was a little sad that oh, okay, so we're not getting any of them. That's okay, I guess. Um, and then ugh, to be honest, Mara escaping Atlantis and just knowing that pretty much because everything. The, the the blood the two thing that transforms is blood and internet and so down there the blood is going to spread very quickly and is going to touch every single living thing in the ocean and the fact that she just has to escape and just everything behind her is just lost that actually hit me pretty much is is or pretty badly is Mara just no just seeing the hopelessness and needing to just swim for her life yeah yeah those are really good. Yeah, and 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 for me, you know, again, Batman, Batman's that, you know, came kind of hard simply because it, it, it's Batman. This is the Batman universe. But um, as far as shock, again, as I mentioned, seeing Darkseid succumb, mm-hmm. considering all of his might, all of his, you know, power, yet Cyborg survives and is immune to the equation because it's in him and he's the one that's passing it on uh did come as a shock uh maybe because i'm not a cyborg fan anyway <laughs> but just seeing someone of of, of dark side's status uh being whimpered away just just again shows how how real Taylor was going to make this story out to be. It's like the beginning of uh, the last Avengers movie, whatever that one's called. Endgame. Where we're at the very beginning of the movie, just, well, Thor takes out Thanos, just poof. And he's like, what? (laughs) You're like, what the hell? That was so quick. Okay, we won, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> we got two and a half hours of movie credits. Here we go. <laughs> All right. And I'll go for my second question, which is, is the popularity of Deceased democratizable uh, or fungible or transferable or even uh, mimicable or imitatable? Um, and I wanted to bring up the issue of Batman White Knight and Curse of the White Knight. So... I asked Steph to pull up sales numbers. What were sales of Deceased versus White Knight? And do you think that they have similarities that can be learned by other people attempting to have success like this? Right. Well, Deceased started really, really well. And they, 
at least the first original run ended very respectable, almost at 100k, 93k, starting at 242. So that is quite a drop. Issue number ones do usually sell almost, I mean, sometimes up to twice as much as the second issue. So it's a little unfair sometimes to compare the first issue. Um, But I think probably because one, yeah, he was a popular writer or known writer, probably, to, to, like we said, a crowd that may not normally buy your everyday continuity comics. And, I mean, zombies. I mean, again, it's just a whole slew of people I don't understand that love zombies. Uh, And they're probably drawn to that. So I would guess, I'm making that up, but I would guess that a lot of of, uh, deceased sales, and they did a pretty good job hyping it up. And there's a lot of variant covers out there that I think would probably get people excited. But again, I mean, he drops in sales... So there was a 61% drop in sales from the first issue. So that is a huge drop. But he kept his sales pretty high. Whereas White Knight did not ever reach that status. The White Knight started at 86,000, almost 87,000, so significantly lower, but they ended pretty much on a steady sales like they only ever went down ten thousand in sales. So overall, they only ever went down eleven percent in sales. So the deceased is doing better overall in sales, but White Knight stayed more consistent and steady and had a more loyal readership, I would say. So I don't know what that says. That maybe deceased fans are a little more fair weather. Maybe people realized, oh, this isn't injustice, this isn't what I like. Maybe some people got it for their favorite heroes and they started to die off. (laughs) Who knows? But overall, the deceased numbers have been very dramatically dropping. Uh, Whereas Unkillables, number two, uh, still was in like the top 15 sales. It was number 14 in in sales. Still was 56K, whereas it started at 242. So it's drastically dropping. And uh, White Knight, Curse of the White Knight, also dropped, but again, is overall staying decently consistent. Like, there isn't a ton of variation in sales. So, maybe White Knight is more loyal and more consistent types of readers? I don't know. I personally think that there would be diminishing returns, although... White Knight is such a Batman-focused work, and this is, as a future question will point out, a DC Universe. Um, That's true. So I think if you did something like this for Wonder Woman or Superman-focused, you probably wouldn't run into the law of diminishing returns. But I think if you kept doing big miniseries like this, you couldn't keep it going. So let let me propose an example. I think, and to some extent you may actually argue that this is happening right now, I think that if Scott Snyder decided to do an Elseworld with, you know, the whole uh, DC Universe, and sort of that's what he's doing with Metal, uh, Death Metal right now, because that's in the future, which means it's alternate universe anyway, it would sell really well, because Scott Snyder is the kind of name that sells comics, and, uh, you know, it's got that... Um, it's its own thing, what I was talking about, where you don't have to read all the 
the crossovers, although mm-hmm. Death Metal has a million crossovers and it's supposed to be the sequel to his 40-issue Justice League run. So that's a little different. Um, but I think if Scott Snyder did a pure, you know, Elseworlds, um, I think it could very well work. Um, but it'd have to be, I would say, high octane. It'd have to be a really big energy because both Deceased and White Knight are action stories. Um, they have different tones, but primarily they're they're really about the action, the fights, the really big costumes, the really big events, the really big well, shocks. Well, Snyder did that one where Joker's head was in the jar, right? Yes, the last night on Earth. Yeah, that um, was. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, it had its audience, but I that was so boring. <laughs> I couldn't get through that. It was terrible. It I was mean, not. We have the misfortune of having three people who aren't huge Snyder fans <laughs> on this cast. So, well, see, and so, so one thing I try to do. This is totally different topic. <laughs> one thing I try to do is I don't pay attention to who the writer or artist is most of the time, unless we're slogged with it. I don't pay attention. So I. That's why I was so happy to discover I really am a true Tom Taylor fan because. One of my favorite stories in the Joker anthology was a Tom Taylor story. I was so happy because I, I did not pay attention. And so I think I don't have to know it's a Snyder story to be bored out of my gourd or to not maybe not be smart enough to, to understand what's going on or whatever you need to have to like a Snyder story. I just don't have. And so I don't it doesn't matter that. I don't like Snyder. It's that I don't like Snyder. <laughs> yeah, and, and and not a Scott Snyder fan, but I am always and 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 those who follow us on the Discord would know I am always willing to give a title and a writer a a shot. And I, I remember, you know, having conversations with. Uh, Scott Snyder, you know, with regards to him going on Justice League when that was first announced, and, and I was not a fan, and I made it known that I, that I wasn't a fan, and so he he uh, DM'd me on on Twitter, and we discussed it, and you know, I was quite honest, and you know, said, hey, with just like with any any book that has you know characters that I follow, I will always give it a shot. You know, again, people who know me know that probably the only writer that I don't like more than Scott Snyder is Brian Michael Bendis. Yet, you know, I truly enjoyed what he did on Naomi. You know, so I'm always willing to to give a book a a chance in spite of, you know, what what names appear in that byline as, 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 as the creative team, um, you know, and, and what, what made me get deceased was, was that it was a alternate universe. Um, and yes, it was because it was a, it was a, a Tom Taylor book and, you know, I had followed him reading some injustice and, and knowing he was going to be on Spider-Man. So, yeah. So, you know, name popularity does, play a part but and again I'm speaking for Theo and not for the cast it's not going to be the only thing that's going to keep me from from picking up a title you know the name 
think none of us are trying to be nasty or mean about it. Like, I'm sure, you know, I mean, like I said, people like Snyder. He's He sells great. I know I'm in the minority. <laughs> but everyone has their own flavor. Everyone has things they like and things they don't like. And I know I'm, there's a lot of things I like that a lot of people don't. And okay. Like, I, we don't have to be nasty about it. And so, I don't know if he ever would. But if Mr. Snyder is listening, it's like, don't feel bad about yourself. It's okay that I don't like it. You, No one has to like everything. Or everyone doesn't have to like everything. I don't know. Whatever. It's okay it's that okay. we don't like things. It, it and is. it's okay that Ian is doesn't love this book. And it's so nice of him that he's, he's doing wrong. this with us. He's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> He's wait wrong. wait for my bad take of the episode to, to really get into that section. <laughs> um, I think you've both made really excellent points. Um, one of the things I've, and this is, again, this is a tangent. I hope that it's interesting to all you specials listeners, but this is a special, so we kind of get to do what we want. One of the things I've really tried to focus on since I started running the the podcast and since I've been a writer at TBU is I used to, in my 20s, really spent a lot of time, you know, arguing about things that I thought were badly done. And I think there is merit in criticism in recognizing where something is unsuccessful, where something is not as carefully thought out as it could be, where it's not as consistent. But I think if you focus too much on that, why would you keep spending your life in that? You're making yourself less happy. And so I, I've spent most of my time really trying to find either the things that I can take out of something that even if I don't like it as a whole, I can enjoy those parts or really promoting stuff that I, I love truly. And one of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast is because Theo and Steph have such a pure love of this series. And I thought it was worth sharing and hopefully you guys will respond to that. I, I hope that you guys enjoy this this podcast as much as we enjoy making it all right let's move to our third set of questions so my first question which i probably should have made my first question does the gore and blood distract or add to your enjoyment or is it just kind of neutral for you well you can't have a zombie movie <laughs> you can't have a zombie book without gore Absolutely, uh, and I am. I think I would have been more disappointed had it not been <laughs> that way, you know. And I think you know, as Ian mentioned earlier, it, it's kind of the difference between what we got with Marvel Zombies, where it's, it was more comedic. You you don't expect that when you're talking about zombies, you know. You look at The Walking Dead or anything else, you know it. It it's about it's about the death that comes from the undead. So if 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 it wasn't for that, I think the gore makes it more believable for me. Uh, again, we all know it's an alternate universe, but the fact that we are seeing these characters die and and transform and everything that comes with that makes the story believable that if it wasn't there would just make it be okay for me i actually mentioned when we were planning this podcast we've actually been planning for a couple weeks now um that after doing my reading uh i actually woke up 
uh, with a nightmare of fighting zombies. And it wasn't the blood. For me, the, the really difficult thing about zombies is that anyone can turn. So, you know, you can have a normal friend and you turn away and then they're a zombie and they're trying to kill you. Um, and they just keep coming, you know? Uh, you can cut off arms and legs and they just keep coming. There's There's that just horrible relentlessness about a zombie and then you've got superpowered zombies as we'll see later on in this series that are just so much worse and so while i myself am not a big gore fan i think theo is absolutely right that is the series it is the concept it is completely appropriate to what's going on i i would say that the covers are sometimes needlessly gory um <laughs> but again it's the audience it's what it's what's appropriate for what this uh, series is going for. So it doesn't really distract from me. I mean, it it doesn't really linger on shots of real grossness. Like I've, I've read way worse. Like if you've ever read the boys, that that is a comic that really revels in some grossness. Whereas this one is, I would say it's probably a PG 13. Well, maybe it's R because of the amount of blood, but it never like really lingers on the gross stuff that's happening. Well, I'd say for me, like I said, I think I've only ever watched two zombie movies. One was Shaun of the Dead, which I tried, which was one of my favorite movies early college. And I tried watching that a few months ago and I almost barfed. <laughs> it's like, what was I thinking? How did I watch this? Um, and then the other one was uh, Night of the Living Dead. Yes. Which. The original or the remake? The original, which that I actually thought was. That was fascinating because of of the commentary on you know police brutality, <laughs> but um, back in the sixties, it's very interesting. Movie yes, I, I I watched the the original as a child. That is the only horror movie that has literally given me nightmares. Oh no! I I yeah, it was pretty icky too. But I tried to concentrate. And, like, I, this is actually where I'm going with this, is I, I did focus on what, well, what is, this? this is a horrible, gross movie. What is the message? Shaun of the Dead didn't really have a message. Night of the Living Dead definitely had a political and socioeconomical, whatever, <laughs> uh, message. And so what I tried to focus on, this is, like I said, not my favorite, but I love the characters so much. And I love his dialogue, and I love his characterization, that, that yes, there is violence, yes, there are zombies, but... I'm reading it for what are the stories that are coming out of that? What are what are the character developments coming out of that? And that's that's what I like so much about his stories, and that's why I enjoyed this one. So since we're on the topic of horror movies, <laughs> um, one of the things that we've seen with this series is, and it's with all of the other issues as well, is a slate of variant covers depicting some of the some of the well-known, the more popular horror movies that we know. Uh, So for these first three issues, it was uh, It, and it was The Nun, and it was, oh no, what was the third Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, Nightmare on Elm Street. That was issue two, actually. So what are your thoughts? How do you, what are your thoughts on these special movie covers and and how they were used um not only for these three issues but the entire series um you know because there was even one uh a few that ian liked as well (laughs) as disliked 
think it's clever. I think it was very convenient that it came out around-ish the time that this released. I don't remember if it was being hyped up or it had just come out. I don't remember. But yeah, the it poster was very timely. I think it's clever. You were able to do things in these variant covers that don't actually happen in the book. <laughs> um, so it definitely is a creative outlet. I it, it's a little disappointing. I mean, it's like we talk about on the nor- on the regular cast is that you know the things that happen on the cover never happen in the book. It's just it's all nonsense. But in this way, in this in this because you're copying a poster, it's just, I don't know, I think it's creative and it gets people interested and people who know the horror genre get excited about, haha, look, it's my favorite, you know, eco-terrorist <laughs> being attacked by zombie Batman. I don't have a whole lot of commentary on the um, <laughs> movie covers because I don't watch horror. I haven't seen any of the movies. Um, uh, the one comment I will make is that there's a com- cover... I believe a retailer exclusive, which was an imitation of Batgirl number, let me think, it's 12, uh, with Stephanie Brown sort of all beaten up and wiping her mouth from uh, the rain. And in this version, it was Barbara Gordon. And that made me very annoyed because it's stealing (laughs) Stephanie's pose. and the original covers by Art Term and the artist Jane Ann Colito mentioned that it was in honor to Art Term. And I, I thought it was very well done. It just annoyed me until I realized what it meant, which is that Barbara Gordon is sadly deceased. But um, but Stephanie Brown is not yet, at least. Yeah. Again, for me, I thought it was I think it was a good concept, uh, considering, you know, it wasn't the only slate of variants that. You know, they put out there, you know, like Ian mentioned, there were plenty of store exclusive variants. And a lot of those exclusive variants uh, were based on other popular covers. You know, like, for example, there was one that uh, gave homage to Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, the, the iconic Superman holding, holding the dead. Supergirl in his arms. So, you know, I'm I'm okay with with it. Uh, you know, those who follow the numbers, you know, might say, well, that's the only reason why uh, you know, the numbers might be so high because of the high number of, of, of variants that came along with it. But hey, I mean, if those variants sell again that that tells you that, you know, people 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 are buying. Uh so I'm I'm okay with those. But I enjoyed this as well. So my third question is, there's multiple artists on this issue. Trevor Harsing is the quote-unquote main artist for Deceased, but there's at least one other artist for this issue, which was 26 pages, which is four pages longer than a quote-unquote normal issue of a 22-ish pages. Does the art change? Do you notice it? How do you feel about that? I personally what think Trevor it? Harsing feels a lot like uh, Clay Man, which is sort of why I noticed because I'm a big Clay Man fan. So the similarity was a little jarring to me when the style changed. Yeah, I mean the the lines are thicker. I mean the colors even look different a little bit. It's got more of a cartoony, not I mean it's not cartoony, but it's got more of a cartoony feel whereas it looks like the rest of the art trying to be a little more realistic. They've got lines on the faces and it's a little more detailed sort of 
they're both very detailed. But uh, yeah, no, it is it is decently jarring, but I appreciate that it's apocalypse. Like it's a different world where it's a different art style, so you can kind of get away with that. I don't know. It is a little little strange though, because it's just so drastically different in art style. Yeah, I could I could tell when when it went from one artist to to the other, but most definitely, if 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 you didn't have any of the creative team's name names on there, you know, you could have easily fooled yourself into thinking that that clay man had something to do with the art and in, in, in especially in, in the first issue. Um, I, lo- I loved it. I didn't have any issues with it at all, but I definitely could see the difference uh, when in, in the pages he drew compared to the others. So my last question is that do you think this story belongs to a particular character or family? It's clearly a DC Universe story, but with Batman dead in the second issue and Joker also dead, would you consider it more of a Superman story? Or how do you see it fitting into a family? It probably starts as a Superman story. I mean, spoiler, if you've already read it, it's eventually not going to be a Superman story. And to be honest, I've only ever actually only read the first run. I haven't read Unkillables yet. So I don't really know where the story's going yet. But I, like I said, I really appreciate that that this story seems to belong to characters that don't normally get the spotlight. And it's going to elevate either either new or or old characters that we haven't heard too much from. And so I think that's really cool. Yeah, I I, I, I think this is this is a new Justice League mm. book. Um, you know, it doesn't belong to a particular family. It it, it belongs to a particular team, and and it it's going to be this this new Justice League because as we can see, you know, some some of the most the more legacy members are dying. Uh, and going away, so we're gonna see. You know, we're gonna see this this new league pop up, and you know, for those who are carrying on and going into Dead Planet, we see. You know, how these new members come about. Uh, so, if if it belongs to a family, it's it's to the JL family. Well said. But actually, I did have one last question. Go for and it. Maybe something that that could. <sighs> Who do you think is telling this story? Is this is this a Lois Lane piece that we're reading? Is she the one that's that's doing the monologue, the dialogue? You know, and to have that be as my, one of my questions because it, sometimes it seems like Superman. Sometimes it felt like it was Cyborg. It was really kind of hard to tell who was narrating. Yeah, in, in the beginning, you may have uh, you may have thought it was Cyborg, but then there's so much there's so much of it that's in the third person. You know, mm-hmm. you you get some weeds and hours, but a lot of it is, is third person. And, you know, as that third person that's going even through the cyborg scene, that kind of made me think it wasn't him. But the lettering also almost looks like a, a, a typewriter type mm-hmm. font. So it kind of made me wonder if it was if it's Lois who's telling the story. I feel like it's supposed to be Lois. I never really considered who until I got to the end when I think it was revealed that at least part of it was Lois. So I just sort of went with it. Yeah, I would say it's either Lois or, or Clark. 
And you know, oftentimes when you're married for a long time, like Lois and Clark, you do pick up speech patterns and phrases from mm-hmm. your spouse mm-hmm. or partner. Or um, So now we come to the last segment of this episode, which is going to be a recurring feature, which is Ian's bad take of the episode. As everyone knows, <laughs> I am not the biggest fan of Tom Taylor or the DC's universe, although I've come to appreciate it more. So I'm going to have a radically bad take on this is issue or issues and my co-host will set me right. So my bad take of the episode is killing characters is cheap. It's cheap drama, cheap storytelling, and you shouldn't use it. I would agree if it was main continuity and you knew they weren't going to stay dead <laughs> because they always bring them back. And in that case, yes, it is cheap because their death literally means nothing because they will come back in this case, because it's alternate universe. Their death does carry more weight because they probably are really gone for the rest of the series unless they come back as a mindless man-eating zombie, which is terrifying. And I think, like I said, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I really like that they're getting rid of their cash cows. I think that's very brave. I think I don't think that's cheap at all. I mean, the, all if you look at anything Batman, any story, it start, the title is always Batman. Blah, 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 blah. Batman, Gotham, I guess, like Batman, I don't know, whatever. Because then you can file it under B and people will find it. Because people who don't know what they're looking for but know they want something Batman will find it under Batman. This one is saying, look, we don't need Batman. Eventually, we don't need Superman. We don't need Woman. We don't need Aquaman. He's going to attempt to tell a story, a long-form story, without their cash cows. I think that's awesome (laughs) i think that's and that's not normally a story i'd want to read because i fall in those people that just i go to b i look for batman i go to c i look for catwoman if i can't find anything too bad so sad oh and now s for super super sons or used to be s for super sons this has got me interested i care about these characters and that's I, I, I find my niche and I stay in it. And so tom taylor is pulling me out of that and i don't think that's cheap at all i think that's very ingenious and brave and creative and it's bold the fact that the fact that by the end of the very first issue you know batman's a dead man he's dead man walking that's very bold because usually the hero even if he dies he dies at the end he sacrifices himself one Mm -hmm. last time as the book ends tom taylor goes out issue one he takes out Darkseid, bam, gone. He takes out Green Lantern, bam, gone. He takes out Batman, and by the by the time you get to issue two, Batman is laying on the ground next to his sons. That's bold, you know. And so you're gonna have four issues where, between issues three and six, where characters that we expect to be on the front line fighting it up giving their last, you know, just as, as he, as he presented in those first few pages, they, they defended the earth just like they've done so many times. And now, you know, he foretold it was their last time doing so. And I think the fact that he was willing to kill off the most popular of the DC characters being Batman very quickly is a bold move. And I, and, and as a, bonafide Batman fan, I cannot knock him for that. 
Now I may have I may have felt it was more cheap if with all these people dying, we figure out Batman is the only one who can survive. But no, mm-hmm. he dies. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the fact that the world's greatest detective couldn't figure his way out of this one, that was a bold move. So many times there's always there's no stakes. There's never any stakes. Like when we were commenting, like if you want to listen to us on the regular cast, we talk about how Bruce Wayne losing his fortune again. <laughs> There's so few stakes that are mean anything. And so the fact that in this one, yeah, there's real stakes at hand, I think. And we'll see as we go into the other three issues, there, there's going to be more stakes because, I mean, the most powerful of powerful are going to start falling. Who can expect going through a Justice League book, which again, I say this is, without those popular characters being there. So we already know we're not going to have Bruce Wayne. We already know that Hal Jordan won't be around. That's that's bold. And as as we see, as we get to the end, there's going to be more. You know, and who can imagine a Justice League book without the Trinity in some way, one member or another, in one shape or another? I I just think it's a bold move. And the fact that by even making these moves as early as as he did, that the universe is continuing and that we're getting more of it shows that it pays off. That it paid off for him, so I'm I'm not gonna knock him. Well, I think you've made good arguments, and <laughs> these uh, bad takes of the episode will be slightly tongue in cheek. Um, so, thanks for listening to our first episode of DC's Cast on TBU Specials. This has been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. And we'll see you next month for another TBU special. Yeah.